This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast that takes a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we're taking an inside look at one of the most thrilling plays in Bates women's basketball history. Plus, we have multiple multi-interviews for you from our track and field team. And Bates Athletics is gearing up for the installation of a digital display in Alumni Gymnasium with the hopes of establishing a long-awaited Hall of Fame. Meet the alum whose passion for Bates history has helped lead to this moment. All that and more this week on the Bates Bobcast. On Saturday, the Bates women's basketball team won an absolute thriller over Tufts at Alumni Gym. With a score tied at 60 and 0.8 seconds left, Alexandra Long delivered an assist to Elsa Delario. No one will soon forget. They rode the inbound. 0.8 seconds left. Can they catch and shoot and win in regulation? Anyone? Delario for the win! Yeah! She did it! The Bobcats have won it! 62 to 16! A great, great pass there by Alexandra Long and Elsa Delario able to put it up and in for the win. The victory moved Bates to 16-2 overall and 4-0 in NESCAC play. It's the first 4-0 start in conference play in program history. Then on Monday, the Bobcats entered the D3Hoops.com Top 25 poll at number 25 in the country. Long, who goes by A. Rose, wasn't even a recruited athlete, but as a junior, She's emerged as one of the women's basketball team's most important players, leading the NESCAC in both blocked shots and assist-to-turnover ratio. And she is our female Bobcat of the Week. Well, A-Rose, we got to talk briefly after the game. Obviously, it was an exciting, chaotic scene after the victory. Uh, fans on the court and everything. Dramatic win for the Bobcats. One thing you told me that I found super interesting was you had just implemented that play mm -hmm. that morning. Yeah. So how often do you do that, a walkthrough where you implement a play and, and you use it that same day? I don't know that that's ever happened before, but um, we're kind of reaching that point in the season, especially in like conference play. Those games are always super tight and competitive. And then obviously moving into like playoffs later in the season, it's nice to have some like new, fun, exciting plays in the back of your repertoire there. And so like that was kind of nice. Um, and I know Jackie was really excited. I think that was her play that she drew up for us. Um, so she was thrilled that that worked out. Um, and, yeah, I don't know that that'll ever happen again, that we'll do day of and end up using it. But thank goodness. <laughs> so after um, Tufts ties the game, yeah. Bates calls timeout. You mm -hmm. go to the huddle. Is the talk in the huddle like, hey, we just – we we know what we're doing? Is the, yeah, the, it, it looked like I walked off. And, I mean, obviously on the defensive end, like, that was my girl. But I was like, I can't give her this and one. And I'm like, we're fine. We're walking off the floor. It's just a tie game. Um, Mike looks at me and he's like, here we go. And then I already saw Jackie. She had the all of us laid out where we needed to be on the board. Um, and we all just kind of looked down and followed it. And we were like, all right, here we go. We're going to do it. Um, uh, we felt confident in it. I mean, we had I'd thrown that pass a couple times and we were like, we can do this. Let's do it. 
Yeah, I mean, you almost were like a quarterback practically leading, yeah. <laughs> leading her to the spot, right? I mean, well, I think the conversation and walkthrough was who played soccer and who can throw this pass right now. Oh yeah, it's like a throw in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you often do that, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, inbounds pass, you go above your head. Yeah. What's the strategy there? I, guess? I think it's a force of habit uh. um, at this point. <laughs> Maybe a multi-sport athlete kind of thing, <laughs> um, but it's it's also because obviously, if in that kind of time and situation, they're putting the tall one of the tallest people they have on the ball, so. Got to get that over and around. Um, luckily, Elsa's super tall on the other end, so a little bit of an overthrow is okay. Well, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about this. You've now been part of the two most famous inbounds plays in Bates history. The first one didn't go like first, you planned. My, my dad said the same thing to me. He said, I guess now you've forgotten about the, the first-year play. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you had to bring that up with me again. But, yeah, this is this is a good one to be a part of. And, I mean, shout-out to Ariana Dahlia on that first one. Um, but – yeah, that was that's kind of funny. <laughs> I've always wondered what was the actual play call on that first one. Um, well, on that first one, I think it was something we'd we were definitely trying to hit Ari because she was hot in that game. Yeah. Um, and the the person coming off that screen, like by the end of the play, it's I was just trying not to get a five second call, right. and then it was just oh man. Nightmare stuff. <laughs> well, and for folks who don't know, you should know, but you can YouTube it. Uh, Bates, women's basketball, Roger Williams from two years ago mm-hmm. in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the ball got knocked away. Mia Roy hits a three. We go to overtime. Mm-hmm. One of the most dramatic plays ever. Now, um, new dramatic play. This new dramatic play that worked to perfection this yeah. time. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. And so as, as the ball's going through the air, I mean, you know Elsa's tall. She's going to get to it. Um, were you thinking... I mean, once the defender fell over, it was over. I know. I I thought that same thing. When we were coming out of the huddle, I I said to her, I mean, 0.8 seconds, like, it's coming your way regardless. Like, that's the only shot we're going to get up that close to the basket. Um, So when there was daylight from her coming around off that screen, great screen by Davina, um, that I guess maybe helped that girl fall on the ground. Um, But once she caught that, I was just ecstatic. I was like, oh, my gosh, like that. That was executed completely perfectly. We were thrilled about it. Absolutely. And so maybe people don't know. We've, we've had you on the Bobcast before, but people don't have great memories. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were a walk-on here. You weren't was, even recruited yeah. to play basketball. That's and now you're. <laughs> and, and so for those who don't remember, I know you told this story before, but how did you end up joining the team when you first got here? Um, well, I kept knocking down um, Coach's door, and <laughs> she she said it was fine for me to do um, pick up and lift during that like uh, first um, preseason um, and then she had some conversation with some some people on the team, and they said that it would be cool if I stuck around. And so here we are. Rest is history. Yeah, and what a way to start your career with an mm-hmm. NSCAC title, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're we're chasing another one right now. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this team is off to the first four and zero start in NSCAC play in program history. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still, you know, got six NSCAC games left. But I mean, at at this point in time, what makes this team so special in your mind? I say it to people all the time after our games. We just we have so much fun playing together. Like every time we step on the floor, it's we know it's gonna it's gonna be a fun experience. Um, and kind of bringing that as the separator, um, we've harped on a bit this year. Like obviously, you got to be um, talented basketball players. Um, each weekend is a challenge. Um, it's always competitive, and people are gonna bring their best against you when you're playing well. Um, but as long as we keep coming in um, ready to go and excited to play. Um, and having fun together like that, that really sets us apart, honestly. And your role on this team, I mean, you do a lot, but defense, you, you are leading um, the NESCAC in block shots mm-hmm. right now. You're not six feet tall or anything I'm like not. that. <laughs> How are you able to do that? Um, I don't know. Dur- during my high school career, I guess it's something that I just kind of like got 
relatively good at without fouling, and and it's just kind of continued throughout my career. It's something I like to do, um, and it's working out for me. So I'm gonna keep doing it as long as I can. <laughs> and it seems like we have a lot of good shot blockers yourself. Yeah, uh, Morgan also, Kennedy Morgan, Morgan makes some great. emphatic blocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hers are, hers are always like. You're not getting out of that one. <laughs> she she means it. <laughs> and, and Elsa's obviously a presence in the yeah, post. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I mean, you're the defense this year. I mean, I mean, it seems like it's really the calling card of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another piece that we um, take a lot of pride in. Um, obviously, we're still kind of working on that full court pressure and and managing um, when to full send that and when to kind of pull back a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, but hopefully, we'll continue to get better at that and continue to. Ve- to develop that over this season and and upcoming ones and um, defense will continue to be something that we're, we take a lot of pride in. So you have to go on the road this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, never Been easy. Been a little while. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. A, a road, you know, back to back in the mm-hmm. NESCAC. Yep. Uh, Red hot Middlebury team. Mm-hmm. Struggling Williams team, but Williams is always going to be tough. For so what's sure. your thoughts on this road trip coming up? Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, like I said before, I think. For Middlebury and us, when you see a team who's kind of doing well, you bring your best, and we're going to bring our best um, at home or on the road. Um, and I think that this will be just another good test for us moving forward. You're right. They're, like, Despite the record, there's no team in the NESCAC that you're overlooking. Um, so into Middlebury and then into Williams, and hopefully we can come back with another 2-0. and um, road trip. And one thing for you, because of your defensive ability, Allison will put you on the other team's opposing, you know, top scorer, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they're a guard or if they're six foot one Maggie <laughs> Russell. I mean, yeah. we'll like trying to guard her the other day. I mean, I, I said to you after the game, it was great to kind of have that with Elsa and with Morgan yeah. to throw a couple different looks on her because um, obviously she's a great scorer um, and we tried to kind of match her intensity on the other end um, to make her have to defend us in the, in the same respect. Um, but it's, I mean, again, I said to you the last time I was I was talking with you, like, defense is what I love to do. So um, whether they're a big or a guard, like, I'm, I'm happy to compete with them. Um, and hopefully we can we can keep doing that this weekend, yeah. It seems like on offense you can pretty much get to that rim anytime mm-hmm. you want. I mean, what's the development of that offensive game to try to, you know, be, you know, be a scorer? Because you, you had, you know, 12 points the mm-hmm. other day. Um, I think, like, Coach and Mike especially try to remind me every day that the first step is really quick and it's hard to de- to defend. Mm. Um, and so, like, once you have that first one going, like, obviously there's another line of defense, but um, it's a lot easier to work um, once you get closer to the rim. So as long as I keep developing confidence in that and just keep going at it, um, hopefully it'll keep working out. I wanted to ask you, I mean, what's it been like as, you know, as upperclassmen now mm-hmm. to see – someone like Elsa have such a breakout year. I mean, she was good last year mm-hmm. as a rookie. She was all-rookie team in For the sure. state of Maine. But now she's putting up, you know, all NESCAC-type numbers. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously during the last year, um, we wanted to be able to have Brie out on the floor with yeah. us. Um, obviously that injury ended up happening. But I think um, moving into this year, that ended up being kind of a blessing for Elsa because she had that first year of experience, um, game experience, which is really important. Um, and now, like going at it in practice, going at it in games. I think that she has this newfound confidence and she's kind of developed um, offensively to have a couple different looks around the rim and she can kind of score like any way she wants. She's having that kind of pull up from mid, like the mid range. Like um, it's just awesome to watch her like really take it to people during games. Like she's doing absolutely fantastically. You know, when it comes to leadership, I mean, Morgan and Davina are the senior captains. Mm-hmm. Allison's a senior as well. You're a junior. You all remember, you know, winning the NESCAC. Yeah. So what's the, like, kind of the message to the underclassmen? And it seems like you're, you're 
vocal leader out there on the court. I see yeah. you there also. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm definitely a talker, <laughs> uh, whether for, for good or bad, but um, we'll let my teammates decide on that one. Um, but yeah, I think that Davina, um, Morgan, Allison, and I kind of remind ourselves like, um, like we've been here, we've done it, and we really want to do it again. Um, and this is a group of, of young women who we feel like are like ready to do that with us. Um, and that kind of energy that I think I felt my first year, I'm really feeling revived and um, feeling that going into um, this conference play that we've we've started. So that's just really exciting for all of us. Um, and I think as like upper class people on the team, like that's just gravy like it's so nice um to have especially some people in our sophomore class who are just like um flourishing into their roles and then obviously we have some of our first years who are playing huge minutes for us and they're absolutely awesome um so like maybe not as um older women on the team but they're definitely bringing bringing their stuff which is super special and obviously the alumni support continues to be really strong mm-hmm. we saw Megan Graff was at the game yeah they always <laughs> like to have her back um it was so nice especially I think we've we've remarked on it it's been a number of years since we've beat Tufts yep. um obviously that game last year was really special for her in her career um but we all want to have that win, um, so I think that that was really nice for her to be able to kind of full circle moment. Well, and that was great for her and great for Alice Montgomery too. Yeah. The one team she hadn't beaten, right? For sure. <laughs> um, and I mean, again, it's only been however many years, but um, our seniors felt that too. That was that was a win they definitely wanted to have. Great. Well, I guess any other thoughts on this upcoming week and maybe what, what you think the focus might be on? You know, you got two practices coming up. You know, mm-hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, prepare for this big road trip. Yeah. Um, I mean. I think, obviously, Middlebury, they have a really great scorer on their team. Um, But I think also just with the success they're having, like, you can't overlook anyone on that team. And I think that's the same with us. Um, Obviously, like, Elsa and Morgan are kind of leading us in scoring. But I think, um, depending on the day, anyone can get hot. So um, we'll just have to see what um, Jackie and Coach bring out in film, um, go over that scout, and we'll just be – super dialed in because you're right we're going on the road um it's been a little while um but we definitely still want to bring back those two wins um and kind of keep our streak going yeah there's alumni magic but don't forget the bobcats also beat connecticut college on the road by 31 earlier this year so yeah (laughs) we we carry the alumni magic in in every gym we go to that's that's the goal certainly well alexandra long a rose our female bobcat the week um four block shots a career high against tufts and of course the assists heard round the nets cat thanks so much (laughs) thank you so much aaron the Bates track and field teams hosted the Bates Invitational last Friday and Saturday, with the women's and men's teams both taking home first place. On the women's side, senior Livy Kozik was the star of the show on Friday, winning the pentathlon with a career-best 2,967 points. That mark puts Kozik seventh on the Bates all-time performance list. Well, Livy pentathlon victory for you there at the Bates Invitational. You competed just on Friday. You all do all five events on Friday. It's about a four-hour uh, time frame where you do all five events. So you've done it before, but what's the experience like for people who don't know competing, you know, in a pentathlon compared to a normal meet where you're you're not doing that necessarily? Yeah. So it's definitely different because you have to be really mentally as well as physically tough. Um, it's a hard thing to go out there and maybe you do your first event, which is hurdles, and you do horribly and you have a horrible time but then you have to oh moving on we got to go to long jump and we got to we got to put on a pretty face and and go and compete um and so it's definitely yeah it's a ride but I love doing it 
And yeah. <laughs> so of the five events on Friday, which one do you think went the best? I mean, you set three personal records, 60 meter hurdles, shot put and 800, but which one did you uh, maybe think, oh, wow, that was, that was really the best one. <laughs> right. Well, I definitely think that the 800, um, yeah. I really showed out in because I was down by a hundred points right before the 800 and I really wanted that win. Um, cause it was my senior night. And so I went out there and I got a three second PR which, I mean, to brag is no small potatoes for after doing four events. So I yeah. was really proud of that for sure. Well, and you probably, I mean, you were probably keeping close track of where you were in the standings, right? Yeah. So you knew the runner you had to beat. So you didn't, you didn't have to win the event. You just had to beat that runner, right? Right, that... yeah. I think my coach just said it was like, oh, I have to beat her by something like 12 seconds. So yeah. I knew that I had to go out there and really push myself. Excellent. And then, um, you know, for you, you know, of the five events – How's that training kind of balances itself out throughout the week? How do you – because they're so different. I mean, the shot put is completely different than the 60-meter right. hurdles. Right. <laughs> well, this is actually something I love about what I do because mm. I love how much variety there is throughout the week. It's like every day you do something different. On Mondays, I do hurdles and high jump. On the next day, I do long jump. And then I do some sprint tech on Wednesdays. And, like, I'll get in an extra throwing session um, sometime during the week that's not at our regular practice time. And so it's definitely a lot, but I like – the, the spice, the variety that it brings to my life, for sure. Well, I'm curious. Uh, you're a senior now, but take us back to, you know, when you were looking for colleges from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. What made Bates the place for you? Right. Well, I um, I love Bates because I'm a Maine girl, first of all. I think it's beautiful up here. And I saw a nice small community where walking around, it was everyone was talking, everyone's chatting, everyone's moving in pairs and groups. Um, And that's what I really love about it is that, you just know everybody, and that's what felt good really at the at the pentathlon meet. Like, I knew everybody there, and all of my friends were there, and I just really think that this is a strong date community for sure. That's what I was looking for. And then, you know, throughout the years, you've competed in the pentathlon uh, with Abby Otterbein, who mm-hmm. graduated last year. So what was that like kind of – she was a year older than you, maybe learning a bit from her throughout that experience? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I um, love Abby Otterbein. She is really my inspiration. Like, mm. she – has been such a talented athlete for the entire time I've known her and so hardworking. Um, and I certainly was not as hardworking in my earlier years of the sport. So I think that I really looked up to her. And once she left, I knew I had some big shoes to fill. So it was time to step up my game, which I hope I did. <laughs> and you've got now a younger um, athlete, also Carly Buck, who's competing in the same uh, event as you. And so now you're the, the you know, more experienced athlete. So what's that dynamic like? Right. Well, I think it's I think it's so fun. I think it's really fun this year to be a leader on my team. Um, and obviously the pentathlon and the heptathlon, it's not, it's, it's a scary thing to walk into. Um, and so I think that it's fun to to be able to talk her through it, to be able to like meet her parents, meet have our parents meet, be like, you guys are going to spend a lot of time together this season. Um, and yeah, I've really enjoyed being like someone that she can look up to just because I know how much impact those people had on me when I was competing. How did you first get involved in track and field growing up? Um, I think I started, I think it was my first sport that I started, which was in like middle school and I did some track clubs and then in high school, it was really just my extra sport out of the three that I did. And I just kind of, it was like the casual one, the ooh fun one. Um, and then I ended up getting into Bates and then just, um, emailing the coaches from there being like, Hey, what do you have any space on the team? And they let me know that they did. Um, and it's definitely not as lackadaisical as it was in high school, but I think that makes it all the better. Yeah. A little more intense. Um, I mean, and when did you decide you wanted to try out, you know, 
the pentathlon and heptathlon specifically. Well, that was not my decision, actually. <laughs> I didn't even know what those things were yeah. when I was coming to school. And so one of my coaches sophomore year was like, oh, do you want to be a multi? And I was like, oh, sure. I like doing multiple events. Like, I thought that was it, period. I was like, yeah, I like multiple things. Um, and no, it's a, whole, it's a whole shebang. So now I know. But <laughs> I don't regret it. That's for sure. And you get to work with um, a bunch of different coaches, right? Because the events are so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what's that like, you know, working with maybe Curtis for the hurdles or, or Dan? for the shot put and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I also think that that adds a lot to my experience because there's, well, first of all, I just, I love the coaching staff. I think all of them are really great people. And I think that I've gotten to know them each really well, which is really something that not a lot of people on my team get to do just because it's so big and dynamic, but getting to spend FaceTime with each of them every day, it's great to like know them on a personal level and feel like I have support systems all across the team. So I think it's awesome. And then so after you win the pentathlon there on Friday, you get to watch your teammates go out and win the rest of the meet. What was that experience like? It was so awesome. I have so much fun um, going and just getting to cheer all day. Like who who wouldn't love that? Um, And we haven't won that meet, I think, the time that I've been at Bates. Mm. So it was so exciting, like getting to track the points and like look at what's going on here and then run around, go cheer for my teammates over on this side, on this side. Like, oh no, we need 12 more points in the four by four. Let me go like to the last leg and really get rowdy. Um, So I just had a blast. Like it was so, and I didn't have any pressure on me, which is great. Love that. Right. You'd already done your part. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of that, I mean, you're now in the top 10 all time at Bates in that event. So what does that mean to you? Um, well, that just means, first of all, that I'm among a group of incredible women. Abby Otterbein is one of them. Um, one of my other alumni, Amanda Kaufman, right. is one of them. And it, I, I, it's incredible to me because as a freshman, I remember looking up to these people like Amanda Kaufman. She was one of my seniors and just being like amazed and jaw on the floor. Like these people are such incredible athletes. So it's like really an awe inspiring experience to be among one of those names and be one of those people that younger athletes are going to get to look up to and like try to beat that record. This Saturday, John Thomas Terrier Classic going down there. Um, yes, I am. What events, do you know? Uh, I'm doing high jump and hurdles. So going to get some extra practice in. <laughs> I saw you part of a relay there at Brandeis or any plans to do more yes, relays? He loves to put me in the four by four. Um, and this was, I think, a special a special present for doing well in the pentathlon that I'm not in it this weekend. Oh, okay. But yeah, <laughs> I think I'll see another one of those in my future. Uh, four by four, not your favorite event? Because, you know, it's uh, not my favorite thing in the world. It kind of makes you want to die at the end there. But <laughs> I'm happy to do whatever they need me to do. Well, in the pentathlon, is, is the 800 normally a, a particularly challenging one? Because I mean, that's pretty long. It's definitely, um, it's the same feeling afterwards where you feel like yeah. you're dying yeah. and you can see Jesus somewhere up above like it's it's really painful but I like it a lot because it feels like you have more control than a 400 because it's kind mm. of um you know you have four laps to make moves and th- like kind of strategize what you're doing so yeah I like it for that reason do you have a favorite event I think it might be I think it's high jump at this point okay. in my life I just think there's nothing better than like flying over the air and looking behind you and that bar is still standing <laughs> it's, a, it's a good feeling High jump. Excellent. Excellent. And um, well, I guess any other thoughts you want to share on the Bates Invitational we haven't got to talk about yet? Oh, it was just great to see a bunch of alumni and the record holders. Right. Was, we have that black and white picture um, at the front of Merrill from when it was first being constructed. And I think two of the men that were in that picture from 1985 were at the meet um, and presenting their record.
records. And so I thought that was really cool and inspiring and also felt good because that could be me all gray and old in 50 years and coming back to um, my home turf. All right, well, Olivia Kozik, 2,967 total points in the pentathlon, seventh all-time at Bates. Thanks so much, Jerusalem Bobcast. Thank you so much, Aaron. For the men's team, sophomore Carson Mullerine shined in the heptathlon on Friday and Saturday, scoring 3,667 points which places him ninth on the Bates' all-time performance list. He set personal records in five of the seven events, and Carson Mollering is our male Bobcat of the Week. Going into the into the meet, I was pretty sore and my legs were hurting a little bit, so I took the uh, couple days before it to just rest up. But then uh, when the meet happened, I was feeling really good, and then I went out and I had three PRs on day one and then two PRs on day two. Great, and um, of those events, what was your, what were you most happy with, perhaps? Um, I think I was probably the most happy with the shot put and pole vault, mm. probably because of those were, I think, the biggest areas of improvement I've seen from last year. Um, with shot put, just have gotten a lot stronger and was able to connect a good throw there. And then pole vault, we have a new uh, vault coach, Sofia Slavensky, and she's been very, very helpful and got a big PR in the pole vault because of that. Yeah, I was watching you do the pole vault there, and uh, Sophia was saying how you know proud she was of your effort. Uh, what was it like we've been working with her? Because she was you know, a national champion at, at USM. It is amazing working with her. She has some of the most knowledge of any coach that I've ever worked with. And it's also very nice because um, I think she graduated just last year, so yeah. she can still demonstrate all of the drills for us if we ever have questions and just has so much uh, information that she can tell us about it. Great. And take us back to when you were in high school. What made Bates the place for you? Well, I was looking at mainly uh, small liberal arts schools and visiting around. Bates was the one that I, I liked the best. I really liked the, the campus feel. Um, and then there was also the chance that I could be on the team here. So that also helped. Yeah, certainly. I mean, how did you first get involved with track and field? What made that a sport you really liked? Uh, so I ran uh, cross country and actually long distance in track all throughout high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and towards the end, I added on high jump, and then my senior year, I tried uh, one pentathlon meet at the end just to try to score some points for the team, and then liked that well enough. Um, and my first year at Bates, I actually did a season of cross country in the fall. Okay. Um, and then after that, switched to the multi-events. So speaking of these multi-events, so the heptathlon is 60-meter dash, long jump, shot put, high jump, 60-meter hurdles, pole vault. 1,000 meter run. Uh, how do you balance this training? Because it's totally different events. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of different events, but the thing I've noticed is a lot of it is on a speed and power basis. Mm -hmm. So things that will help pretty much all of the events with honestly the exception of the 1K is just uh, sprint training and getting in the weight room and also plyometrics. So although the techniques are very, very different, some of the, the base for all of the events is pretty similar. I feel like for me personally, if I had to try any of these, which I don't, but the pole vault seems like the scariest. I mean, what, how do you do the pole vault? Because I feel like I'd be so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, just as much practice as I can. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of times where I kind of go up in the air and don't really know what's happening <laughs> and just kind of try to figure it out and not land on my head. Um, so it's just a lot of trial and error, I think. What's the technique like there learning that? Because I feel like that'd be complicated. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm still not great at the technique yet, but um, the things I try to work on is when you go up, you want to have a really strong uh, block arms uh, with the pole up in the air so you can get some bend out of it. And then you want to basically swing your legs up to the top of the pole, and then once they're up there, you kind of want to turn over the bar and then fall down onto the pit. 
Another event I'm interested about is the shot put because, you know, you mentioned you have a cross-country running background. You still somewhat look like a cross-country runner, right? <laughs> and the throwers are a little bit different in terms of that, in terms of their build. So how do you work with the, the throwers and uh, what's it like there training with them with the shot put? Oh, it's really, really fun training with the throwers. That's some of my that's some of my favorite time doing track. Um, it honestly is just uh, throwing the shot put as much as I can. Um, and the frequency I do that, I see big improvements. And I work with the uh, throwing coach, uh, Coach Kalina, a lot. And we do uh, one-on-one practices. So I have a lot of time to just learn about the technique and use all the strength I have to throw it. What do you think really came together for you this weekend? I mean, with those five PRs, that's that's quite a bit for one event. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I think it was, I had a very good, uh, summer of training Mm -hmm. and then fall of training as well. Um, so I think I had built a really good base and I was definitely in a place to PR and do a lot better than I had done in the past. So what do you feel like the kind of next step is for you? Like even this season alone going forward, because the multi-meets, you kind of jump in there when you can, you, you have, you almost never do them back to back, obviously. So what's, what's it like from a train perspective preparing for the next one? It's just going to be going back to practice, getting in as many reps as I can and trying to get faster and stronger when I can and when we have workouts like that. Um, And then also at meets that don't have the heptathlon, I will just be doing individual events to try to see improvement in those. Yeah, I saw at Brandeis previously you did the 60-meter hurdles and the long jump. Uh, Are you going to the Terrier Classic coming up, and what will you be doing there? Uh, yes, I'm going. I haven't uh, decided yet. I still have to talk with my coach okay. about that. <laughs> what's your favorite event? I mean, I think we talked about the events you were most happy about this past weekend, but what's like the event you most look forward to each week? To be honest, I don't really know if I have one. Oh, okay. I think a lot of multis, because they come from a background of doing track and not long distance, they mm-hmm. have uh, one event that they specialized in well before they did the multis. And I guess I semi have that with high jump, but... Um, I feel like I am about like as good at all of the events um, and my abilities are about equal. So there's not really one that I have. Um, I'd say the one I like the most is the one that's going the best at that moment. You were able to win the 1,000 meters there, even though that wasn't a PR, but take us through that race. Uh, Yeah, that was really fun. Um, So I... I led from the gun for about mm. two and a half laps. It's a five-lap race. So halfway through, uh, one of the kids from Bowdoin, Dove, he passed me. Um, he was leaning for a little bit, and so I stuck to him in second. And then with about a lap to go, a Colby kid passed me and Dove. And then so I went with him around Dove. And then on the final straight, I had enough left and kicked past him for the win. Excellent, excellent. And that was your first individual event. It looks like that you've won in a multi-competition. Is that fair? I'm looking yes, at the Yes, that results. is. Yeah, no, I was so. very, it was a really, really nice way to uh, end the weekend. Excellent. Now, I want to skip ahead to outdoor season when the decathlon comes around. That's 10 events. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do we add there here in the outdoor uh, when we come up to that in March? <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, there are a couple of just conversions. So yeah. the 60-meter dash and the 60-meter hurdles will go to sure. the 100-meter dash and the 110 hurdles. Yep. The 1K will go to a 1500, yep. but then we'll also be adding in a 400, the javelin, and the discus. And what about what are those events like for you? Um, still very new to them. Yeah. But I, I've practiced throwing a lot this summer and this fall, so I think I should see uh, a lot of good progress, and I'm really, really excited to have the chance to throw those in outdoor meets. Yeah, because the javelin among the throws events even is totally different, right? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's very different. It's a, it's a very, very big learning curve. Um, so I'm trying to put all that together in practice.
Certainly. Um, well, yeah, I guess just um, any other thoughts on like, you know, this season coming up? Because you're what? You're only a sophomore here. So mm-hmm. you got you got a time to certainly uh, continue to PR each week in, in different events and everything. But what are some other thoughts you have on your goals for this upcoming, you know, indoor season? We've only had two meets so far. So mm-hmm. in the indoor season, I would just like to uh, see as much progress as I can, whether that's in practice or in meets um, and really just prepare me for a good outdoor season and for that decathlon. All right, Carson Mollerine, uh, PR in five of the Tathlon events on Friday and Saturday, and the men's team winners of the Bates Invitational. Thanks mm-hmm. so much. Thanks so much for having me. The women's alpine skiing team impressed in the slalom on Saturday, taking fifth place at the Colby Carnival. First year, Juliet Hoder led the way in 12th place overall with a two-run combined time of 1 minute 41.17 seconds. Well, Juliet, your first collegiate carnival. Take us through the Colby Carnival experience. How did it compare to what you'd done, you know, in the past in high school? And what was it like to get out there and really compete against some uh, collegiate athletes here as a first year? I was really excited about going to my first carnival, especially the team. I did one last year, and getting to see the environment and everything, it just looked super exciting. And it was a different, it's a whole different, like, race day experience because you're surrounded by teammates that are just encouraging you. Other than, like, most races, like, in my past have been very much, like, it's all, like, for yourself. And this is just a whole different environment, which I was really excited to experience. And I really had so much fun, like, being with the team and everyone. The energy is just so fun. And it's just, like, really exciting. And I enjoyed it a lot. 12th place in the slalom. (laughs) Almost a top 10. Very impressive. Uh, Take us through the two runs there on Saturday. It was good. It was, like... Not my best skiing, I'd say, but I was just like, it worked out for the best. I don't know, so I can't really complain. But I don't know, it was a fun race, just like trying to feel it out the whole carnival ways, I guess. I well, once you had a strong first run, yeah. what's it like going back up there for the second run? Because you know, oh, I'm in a good spot right now, but I have to I have to finish this run, you know, or else it won't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my first run, after my first run, I think I was in around like eight, or some okay. around that so that since we do the flip 30 for second run so whoever's in 30th goes first I wanted to take advantage of having a good bib so I went into the second run and really just tried to take advantage of having good snow while before it gets worse for the better skiers in the first run so it's kind of how it works with skiing you really got to just know what bib you're going off and try to take advantage of it Oh, yeah, because, like, yeah, it really does matter because the snow gets pretty torn up, I imagine, yeah. right? So what what's it like when you're having to battle when it's not great conditions, like uh, if you're going later? <laughs> it's definitely a lot, especially mentally. It takes a lot of, like, joy on people, like, knowing you're not feeling great in a run. It, a lot of people just, like, it will go out and not feel like it's happened to me quite a lot. Mm. And so you really just got to stay with it. And especially during that race, the snow was pretty soft and it wasn't the best conditions, so... With a lot of people going out, you had to keep in mind that, like, it's not going to feel good for anyone. So, like, just, like, try to do your best with it because, like, nothing's going to feel great. So you just got to, like, finish it strong and hope for the best. So, yeah. Excellent. So you're from Vermont. So you're going to be opening at the UVM Carnival, but the weather wasn't ideal, so they postponed it. And then it's happening this weekend, though. So uh, this mountain I'm sure you're very familiar with. Yes, I am. I've grown up there, so I love skiing there. I haven't raced there in like six years or something, oh. so it has been a while, but I do like going back and skiing there a lot, so I'm really excited about this. Yeah, because you went to boarding school in New Hampshire, so just a state over, but what was yeah. uh, the experience like there, and did it prepare you, you think, well for college so far? I think it did, yes, especially with like academic stuff, yeah. like balancing my sport, I feel like it's very similar to college, so it really set me up 
well, especially because a lot of people go to ski academies, which is completely different. And mm. this was really good to set me up for coming to college and knowing how to balance like being an athlete and academics. Um, and the skiing there was just super fun, and it like kept me like loving the sport. So yeah, if you want to ski in college in the East at the highest level, there's about ten options. What made Bates <laughs> the place for you? Well, my dad went here, and okay. I've like always known about it, and I it just seemed really fun. I've always seen the team at races, and I was just like drawn to it, and I wanted like a smaller school, and it was like the mountain was great. I loved the location, so yeah. Did your dad ski here? Yeah, he did. Oh, nice. Okay, <laughs> so when you're growing up. Bates would come through town probably for the UVM Carnival. Yeah, they would. I, they would. Uh, the team every year for the UVM Carnival would come have dinner at our house. My dad would want them to come. So I've grown up around the team for a while, like experiencing what the team looked like and everything. So that was kind of exciting. And now I get to be that person on the team, which is exciting. That's awesome. So it was almost like, yeah, you you knew the team through the years, and now you're on it. So mm-hmm. as can you as a kid, we're like, I want to be one of them someday. Uh, like, yes and no. Uh-huh. I honestly, like, never wanted to ski in college uh-huh. my whole life until, like, two years ago. I was, like, got really into it again. And I was, like, telling myself I would never ski. And I, like, I liked the sport. I just never thought I would want to keep going all the way till here. And then recently just got way more into it in high school. And now I'm here. So, yeah, I never really thought about it much when I was younger. Okay, excellent. And then your background's more in the slalom. So now learning more about the giant slalom, what's the major difference there? At my old school, we had a hill that was way more equipped for like slalom. It was better conditions yeah. for slalom to smaller. And I've always liked slalom more, but I do like GS, and I and I hope to like improve it a lot this year. Is there a significant difference in terms of like technique or anything? Um, or? yeah. Well, GS is like bigger, yeah. like, wider turns, and it's longer skis. So you really gotta like get better at like using the longer skis and slaloms like more quick movement so they're fairly different but i don't know it's i like both i guess and then um kurt samard what have you learned from him so far head coach of the bobcats he's a great guy he's really fun and i like the energy he brings to the team so i've learned a lot with him and having my teammates around there i love them all and it's a fun group yeah because you mentioned earlier i think it's like skiing you know can be seen as an individual sport, but you all support each other as teammates. So what's that, that dynamic like here? Um, I, It's really good. I really enjoy it because, yes, it's such a, like, especially with teammates and you're all, like, going against each other, it can be, like, very, like, competitive sometimes, but it's not really like that with this team. I feel like everyone just wants the best for everyone, and they know that some people have a better race than others, and it's just it's how the sport is, and everyone has a different day, and we're all just there to, like, pick each other up whenever it's just we're not having a rough day or something not going our way but it's really fun to be on a team where everyone just wants the best for you and it's good terrific and then um first collegiate carnival kind of like was it everything you expected was it different i don't really have many expectations going into it i just wanted to like try to make it fun and it can be like stressful especially the first one i didn't want to like put too much like pressure on myself and just try to like enjoy it and after like going out in the first gs on the first day i I just wanted to like make those out of the slalom and try to enjoy it and definitely wanted to finish because I didn't want to have two not DNFs on my first carnival, but so I'm happy to have gotten one finish out of it. Yeah, very strong finish. 12th place there in the slalom on Saturday. Juliet Hoder, thanks so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Really <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. The Nordic skiing teams were also at the Kobe Carnival over the weekend, competing on the Quarry Road Trails in Waterville. Senior captain Olivia Cuneo continued her consistently strong start to the season 
with a pair of top 30 finishes in the 7.5K Freestyle and the 20K Classic, respectively. All right, Olivia, Nordic skiing, uh, you had your only carnival race in Maine this year, this past weekend at the Colby Carnival. Uh, of course, you're pretty familiar with, right? You train there a lot? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way too much. We don't have uh, any snowmaking capacities near us, so we always have to make the trek up to Colby. And we are actually very fortunate to have snowmaking facilities around us, um, and they do a really good job there. But, yeah, it's been a lot of back and forth, and it just felt like almost a regular practice going up there for the weekend. And, of course, once you got there, the energy was different. But, yeah, Cory Road. <laughs> quite the place <laughs> oh it seemed like great energy um we had uh, one of our student workers benji richards who made a video recapping kind of the event and everything a lot of it seemed like a lot of fans there cheering you on so many fans yeah um last year we had the bates carnival yep. which we really i think we heavily advertised here like you know it's our carnival come out and then this year it wasn't our carnival it was colby's carnival but we kind of treated it like our own because like you said it was the only race in maine and i think we had either like as good of a turnout or even better of a turnout than the Bates Carnival. And that was so amazing, especially for the races we had this weekend. Great. And then for you personally, it seems like pretty consistent so far. Top 30s pretty much every week uh, through two weeks so far. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on how, how the season's gone in your senior year to, through two carnivals? Yeah, um, I have a lot of thoughts because <laughs> I I had a good year of training. Um, as you might know, like Nordic skiing is a lot about the racing, but it's also about like building fitness in the summer and the fall and making sure you're setting yourself up for a good season. And up until November, I thought I was doing a pretty good job. And then I had a head injury, which resulted in like also a lot of neck tightness and pain. Um, so I had about a month and a half there where I wasn't really doing anything. Um, I took a lot of weeks off, not a lot of time on snow. So I got it. I came into the season feeling quite behind. And really my first race before the carnival season was the Saturday before. Um, and that went fine, but like before that race, I wasn't doing anything. So it's been a little bit of a shock to my body, but overall, I think I'm handling it pretty well. Um, and then when it comes to the consistency, I, I've noticed I've been like all within a couple places every race. And I'm really excited about that because I didn't even know if I was going to be able to race this season. So overall, I'm just like really happy that my body's hanging in there and I'm having a lot of fun. Um, but at the same time, I am hoping to like push those results and the consistency a little bit forward because it is a bummer to just be hanging out in the bottom half of the like teens or below twenties because like if you are to qualify for something like NCAAs, you need to be closer to the top fifteen and top ten. Yeah, I've heard top ten is really the magic place. You need yeah. it like twice, right? Is that mm -hmm. typically what they want? <laughs> Pretty much. And all the teams are really competitive this yeah. year. So. James said you won the race before the carnival season. Oh, yeah, the bog bird. Yeah. It was just like a small local race, not a lot of competition, but it was really fun. I haven't won a race in so long, so I, I soaked it in. <laughs> we were talking a little bit off the air. Um, the second day of the Colby Carnival was a 20K classic. Yeah. And 20K, I mean, we cover track and field here, obviously, as well. Their, their longest race is a 10K, so 20K, twice that amount, I mean – and a classic technique too. So it's about an hour race. I mean, what you don't, you, you probably don't look forward to those necessarily, do you? There's not too many of them, but you don't probably look forward to them too much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't really look forward to them that much. Um, I think it's one of those, those races where like I know I can do it. Um, I know it's going to be really hard. And I think I have like a mental buffer going into the race where I don't really allow myself to think about what I'm about to go through. Because like you said, like racing for over an hour on, skis with a lot of fast women like you're moving fast for that whole hour um and it's hard to pace yourself when you're following the crowd too 
there's definitely a bit of urgency um, throughout the entire race. So it's a little bit difficult to settle. And I wouldn't say that like the distances are my best event either. So yeah, I, it's it's a push. It's a push for me. But um, we have a weekend off from carnival racing this weekend. And then our last 20K is the last race of the season. So I was thinking maybe the people who created the schedule were a little bit strategic about where they put the 20Ks because it's a hard race, but it also takes a while to recover from. So hopefully after this week, I'll be like feeling better than ever. And then the last race of the season, well, yeah, you just send it. Yeah. So this week, no carnival, but you do have the Chummy Broomhall Cup. Uh, you've competed in that before. What's that experience like the state of Maine championship with Bowden and Colby? Um, it was, it's really fun. It's, I think a little bit of a mental battle to get out there and race another race during the season while you are competing in like the bigger circuit. Yeah. Because I know like either myself or a lot of my teammates are like, oh, it'd be lovely to have a weekend off. But every single time we get out there and day of and you kind of forget about everything else. And it's, it's just a great time to like be with the main teams and not have all these like bigger elite teams be there. And um, we have a lot of fast gears in Maine right now. So that's super cool to see. And what's this course that you're competing at this weekend? It's, uh, it's in Maine if people want to come out and watch, Yeah, right? everyone should come out and watch. It's at Pine Hill, which is in Bethel, Maine. Mm. And Bethel's a really cute spot, too. There are, like, bakeries and <laughs> the Gem Museum. <laughs> Excellent. And then team as a whole is a senior captain. What are you noticing from some of the younger skiers who are just making their debuts this year? Well, our freshman class especially is so amazing. Um I didn't think, like, being a senior, I would be such good friends with the freshman class. And also going into this year, I didn't really know what to expect because my graduating class was originally the class of 2023. Right. Um, so I am making new friends, but I, yeah, it was kind of like, okay, this year is a new year. I'll I'll see what how it goes and, like, hang out with who I can. But, again, like, most of my friends have already graduated. So it's been really nice to have such a great freshman class that comes in and I like they come over to my house and hang out and um, they care a lot about skiing, um, but they also care a lot about being good people and being good teammates and friends. And it's just been such a great addition to the team. It gives us fresh energy and like seeing again, like the new energy come in with people who really care about, you know, school and skiing. And uh, it's just great to see. And as someone who's used to racing on the Eastern Circuit, what are some things you tell them? I know uh, we have a first year from Colorado who may not have been used to racing in the rain a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's doing great. Um, I, I didn't even ask him about his race in the rain. <laughs> he's Yeah, he's he's very resilient. He works super hard. And then we have another kid from Tahoe who's probably used to sunny skies, powder weather. That's perfect. And, yeah, you know, they all just have such great attitudes. I can't even believe how positive they are just to be out here and be excited about racing yeah terrific and then um you know you're the captain along with also on the women's team uh, eliza skillings and her older sister assistant coach there um what's it like working with eliza to lead this team eliza is really good at the things that i'm not as good at so that's perfect um last year i was the only female captain mm. and that was good in a lot of ways but i also found myself getting stressed out and taking on responsibilities that i um it was it was more of an effort than like a, I don't want to say like a gift, but like something I felt like I could just like provide for the team as like a good leader. Um, and then this year I felt like I've been able to lead more like I um, am comfortable with leading. Um, I think I'm more of a leader by example. And I like to just be friendly with people. And 
I'm not as good as like at the like nitty gritty stuff, whether it's like getting the food or getting the vans or like cleaning the ski room. And Eliza's very organized. Yeah. She's on it. So is Cal. They're both really good at that. And so although I, I might not carry my weight quite as well in those areas and it might be frustrating for them, they do a great job and it feels like we can work together well as a team because of it. Yeah. And for obviously for skiing, the women's and men's teams at separate races, but you, you're combined with the points, uh, even with Alpine as well. So what's that dynamic like, you know, knowing the, the men's team finishes going to impact how you know the overall standings right yeah I mean I think it's it's kind of like a bottleneck because you have your own individual race yeah and then that race impacts the women's team and then the women's team impacts you know the men and the women's and then the Alpine and Nordic get combined um so I think it just makes it so you're skiing for something bigger and it encourages you to either stick around or be a better teammate and I'm just thinking like back to the race Last weekend, when it was in the rain at Crestbury, Vermont, everyone was, like, tired and wet, and we still got out there and cheered for the men. Um, and I think that if our scores weren't combined, we would just care a little bit less about, like, what's going on out there. And, of course, we would support the men, but, yeah, we we really just want to be good as a team. So, yeah, I think it's it's good to have combined scores for sure. I've always wondered how close are the Nordic and Alpine teams because your your races are often completely separate areas. Like Colby Carnival, I mean, the Alpine races were nowhere near the Nordic races. But how close were those teams? You may be off the course. I am pretty good friends with a lot of people on the Alpine mm. team. I think it, it's more of an individual basis at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it kind of depends on the class year. But we get along well. We sit next to each other in commons, if yeah. not together sometimes. But it, it definitely feels like we're two different teams that mm. are putting our scores together. That That is something that I wish we, like, work on, maybe even in the spring or, like, next fall, is just, like, getting to know the Alpine team a little bit better. I think it's been a little bit hard, like, with COVID because everything yeah. got dispersed and you were very, like, team-centric. And, like, especially during the ski season, um, it's trying to stay healthy and not socialize too much. So, yeah, I'm, I love them, though. I like the Alpine team a lot. Were you much of an Alpine skier growing up? I mean, obviously you compete in Nordic, but did you also do some downhill? Yeah. Um, I moved to Vermont when I was eight, and Cochrane's ski area is like 15 minutes from my house. And for anyone who knows Cochrane's, it's just a little hill. Um, some really good Alpine skiers have come from it, but it's not like anything crazy. You can go out there, get down the mountain in five minutes or whatever. Um, so I did that. And I also skied at a slightly bigger mountain, but it was nothing like I never even thought about racing. It was all like recreational and it was in the like, quote, off season from Nordic skiing, which was usually like early December or like late March. Um, so, yeah, that was it was it felt separate. It, it wasn't like something that I incorporated very much with skiing. But now um, recently I've gone into snowboarding. So that's oh. awesome. <laughs> Snowboard. OK. How did you get into snowboarding? That, I just decided to try it. Was that during like COVID? It. No, it was, no. A, it was a little bit before, oh, okay. but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, all right, I want to go sideways. <laughs> How, how's that going? Like, It's fun. It's fun yeah. at Lost Valley, too, because I don't have to go too far, and it's free, and I'm not good enough to go do anything crazy, so it's perfect terrain. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Are there any similarities whatsoever between snowboarding and you know, you know, Nordic skiing? Probably not. Yeah, nothing really except balance. Balance, yeah, yeah, yeah true. Yeah. You get to balance. <laughs> but but yeah, I I've I've liked like surfing in the past mm. too. So it's not an unfamiliar feeling, but I it's a good change because I like being on snow. But also you get to go 
forward so much when you're alpine and nordic skiing so it's different it feels different excellent well any other thoughts you want to share on the season as so far and what you're looking forward to we still have the harvard carnival dartmouth williams middlebury quite a few left and hopefully you get to ncaa qualifiers this year right so yeah um well like i said i feel like i'm still like working into it yeah. a little bit um so i'm hoping that the remainder of the season my like mind and body gets really um used to what's happening used to like the slight chaos every weekend and i hope i can finish strong regardless of whether i make it to ncaa's like i said like it's a really strong group of women out there this year and i'll be proud of myself whatever happens um as long as i keep going and you know i'm proud of the women's team i'm proud of the men's team we're all doing the best we can and that's all you can ask for every single weekend and i love the attitudes um, so I'm really excited to finish up. I like the venues the the last couple weekends. The first three venues, I would say, are arguably the hardest because it's Crassbury, Coy Road, and then Crassbury again. Right. They're very, very hilly. Um, and I, I like more rolling and, like, transitional terrain. So, yeah, I'm really excited for the final push of my ski career. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Senior Captain Olivia Cuneo, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Don't forget, folks, Chummy Broomhall Cup is this Saturday yeah. in Bethel. It's the State of Maine Championship. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Thanks again. Thank you so much. The squash teams hosted St. Lawrence and Amherst over the weekend, and the Bates women's team earned an 8-1 to win over the Saints on Friday. Meanwhile, a trio of Bobcats won their matches on both days, with first-year Tia Maria being one of them. She earned back-to-back victories by a count of 3-1 to at the number 5 position in the lineup. As a first year, you came straight to Bates from, you know, going to high school in Dubai. Tell me a little bit about the experience so far transitioning to life here in the United States. Yeah, um, transitioning to life in the United States is is a lot of fun. It's very different to what I'm used to. Um, A lot more snow days than I'm used to from coming from the desert. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of great people here um, on and off the team. Um, I think Bates was a very good place to come and transition into the States. and yeah, overall, I'm very happy. I get to play the sport I love, and yeah. Well, speaking of that sport, squash. Uh, growing up, how did you first get into squash? Is squash big in the UAE? It's actually not. Okay, um, yeah. I am one of maybe two girls who play there, so I've grown up playing with men my whole life. Um, so I started playing when I was around 12, 13 years old, considered to be very late. Um, but I started playing as a pastime, and my dad took it up as a hobby. And then his coach believed that, like, I could, if I was developed more, I could play better. And then I moved to another coach who trained me technically for four years, seven days a week, two hours a day training. So, yeah, that was pretty hectic. And then I went to transitioning a very technical style of training, training into um, a more well-rounded uh, side in ten- terms of like gameplay and like getting experience so yeah that was a lot of fun but I got to learn basics and everything and so I could come here and maybe come to the states and play and then yeah that was my plan. Did you travel a lot to other countries to play against um, you know competitors there or no? Not really okay. um, I what happened is as soon as uh, my coach just said that I was at the level of playing um, abroad, COVID hit. So it was oh, very, <laughs> okay. so right, it was right. very difficult for me to sort of go out yeah. and play. But I got a lot of great exposure back home in terms of going across the country to play, and I had really good players. And now they're all coming. Whoever was younger is all coming to the states to play. So that's very exciting and a very good thing for UAE squash. Sure. And so you're looking at colleges. What stood out about Bates, you know, from halfway around the world? What stood out about Bates and Maine here? Well, honestly, I did not really think I was getting recruited because I we had never really heard about that back home. Uh-huh. But in terms of Bates, it was 
first of all, um, when I spoke to Rai, I really liked him. He had really good energy and he gave really good guidance from what I saw and Bates was doing very well. And then academically, it was the atmosphere I wanted. It was a small college, a liberal arts college, and I got to I would get to explore many different areas of academics and courses and I always really wanted that. So yeah. So was was a thought coming in, you know, I definitely want to play squash in college that I'm gonna look for schools with that. Yeah. So yeah. that's how I first um saw Bates is that this was an opportunity for me to come and play for a college team because we don't get that back home. Right. So we've never played on I never played on a team back home. So this is my first experience here. Um so I always wanted to have that opportunity to come and play on a team. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like that in the United States also, but like squash when you're not in college is completely an individual sport. Squash teams don't exist. So what's it like being on a squash team here at Bates? Um, being on a squash team is actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, like we are six freshmen, um, so it's a lot of us. But I think the good thing is we get to bond a lot. Um, and the upperclassmen are also amazing. Uh, I would say that you know, it's a very close-knit team, and we all know each other very well, and we're very close. So that made my transition a lot easier, but it's amazing. I love being on a team. Excellent. I know, you know, they have the challenge matches and stuff like that yeah. before the season and throughout the season, too. What's that kind of like? Um, challenge matches are fun. Yeah. You get to see um, where you are, um, how you're developing, what you need to improve on. But it's also good to sort of compete um, before the season starts as well. You get a little bit back into the groove of like playing and playing competitively and you know the teammates I have are great players so you get great matches and you know overall it's a lot of help for me as a player um but yeah it's great and we have a lot of fun during it it's a lot of screaming a lot of <laughs> shouting but overall at the end of the day you give your opponent a nice handshake and a nice hug and that's it and then during the actual matches against other teams i know the players will coach each other uh who, who do you coach and who coaches you i had uh samara and i had uh, dana with me they were great um samara and i are always together and dana is also a great player so we all really give each other good feedback um normally i coach samara and then she coaches me and then this season we have our co-captain grace who this last this semester yeah she's back right? she's back yep, yep. um and she's also on our court now, so she gives a lot of great feedback, and as a captain, she knows what she's talking about as well. So it's a big support to have your teammates coach you um, because it really helps. Yeah. This past weekend, you had a couple wins yourself. Uh, individually, uh, you got the win there against your opponent from Amherst, and the mm -hmm. team won, and as did you against St. Lawrence. And so what's been clicking for you these last few matches uh, on the squash court? Yeah, um, I think this past weekend was really good. Um, I really enjoyed playing St. Lawrence and Amherst. You know, they're both very good teams and great matches. It was a lot of fun to be on the home courts for uh, some time because we are on our away season um, and you know for yeah, people to come to watch and yeah. cheer it's a great atmosphere and it's very motivating as a player um, this weekend was great I think um, all my work over the last and hard work is coming together um, it also helped me gain a lot of experience as a player um, it showed me where I'm getting better where I'm lacking um, and overall how I'm doing and I think it was pretty good this weekend um, it was also a great weekend for the team so we got to see how much we progressed and how our hard work is coming along that's a real positive we got to see how close some matches were um, and this is the result we want and hopefully it keeps getting better and this is how it's going to be for the rest of the season. Sure. So, yeah, in the United States, you know, squash stereotypically is like very New England, like Northeast type sport. 
at Bates, we have squash players from all over the world. Uh, you're from Dubai. We have a bunch of players from India. We have players from Mexico, all over the place. What's that like to have um, so many p uh, players from different countries? It's actually really nice. Like, you get to have... Um, like everyone has similar experiences because you've played the same sport. So no matter where you're from, you will always have the same experiences or training styles. But you get to also see how people differ in terms of how they play or how they approach a match or um, what they do, it, like prepping or training. And that's a lot of fun and you get to play. So it's kind of fun. I grew up in an international place myself. Sure. So it was kind of <laughs> the same for yeah. me. But it was nice because I got to relate. Um, to a lot more people being international student than I would maybe if I went to a, a team where everyone was American. Right. Well, yeah, you mentioned yeah, so Dubai, people from all over the world live there kind of too. Tell me a little about that dynamic, I guess. Yeah, so we are a pretty international um, city. Everyone you meet there is an expat. Um, you mm. will have very few Emiratis there. Yeah. Um, and you get to basically mingle and meet a lot of different nationalities, a lot of different people. And that really helped me grow. Like, I think I that helped me adjust to Bates a lot easier, coming to another country from what I was used to. And maybe if I would have come from India, where I'm, my nationality is, I would have maybe had a different experience. But because I grew up with people who were American, who were British, who were um, Mexican, American, or, or Indian, or whatever, yeah. it gave me a very different point of view and perspective. Excellent. Well, I guess any other thoughts on the weekend and you know, some you know, goals you have kind of going forward as we you know wind the season down here uh, as we get into February and whatnot? Yeah, um, I'm very excited for the rest of the season. Um, I will get to see and get to go to many different states, which is yes, completely new right. for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I will also get to play really good teams. Um, and I think the momentum we have as a team right now is pretty good. Um, we're getting better and better every time we play and we can see that through results. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season, looking forward to nationals and hopefully my streak of good matches <laughs> continues. But yeah, it's amazing and hopefully the season goes to a, a really good end. All right, Tia. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bates Athletics has recently finished digitizing our senior citations, which for years hung in the old alumni gym lobby. Now they are online and will be displayed prominently on a new touchscreen display thanks to the generosity of Bates alum Ira Waldman from the class of 1973. The goal is to use the display to soon establish a Bates Athletics Hall of Fame. Waldman has long been a passionate supporter of Bates Athletics and he joins the Bobcast this week to talk more about why the history of Bates sports means so much to him. You know, the history part sort of intermittently interested me, but it really dates back to my time playing football at Bates. And, you know, as, as a freshman, I, I didn't get to play with stars like Jim Murphy, you know, who preceded me. But I saw the videotapes of him and preparing for games. And I was just astonished at how great of an athlete Jim Murphy was when he played here. So I was already interested in Bates history. I was lucky enough to play at least all, all too briefly with Sandy Nesbitt, who was without a doubt, one of the greatest running backs in college I have ever seen. The man could run to one side, stop on a dime, and head to the other side. And it was just unfortunate in the first, maybe the second game of my freshman year, that he blew out his knee. He was a senior, and that was the end of his career. But also, it might have been that year or the, or the year after, I was invited to dinner at uh, with Barney Marcus. 
Arnie Marcus was a legendary great Bates football player. And uh, he was a dentist in Lewiston, and it was Yom Kippur. And he invited me and a couple of other Jewish athletes to his house. And he just, he and his wife just regaled us with tales of Bates football history gone by, including one of the greatest Bates football stories I'd ever heard, which was they were playing Holy Cross down in Worcester, Massachusetts, when Bates had a big time uh, opponent program. And it was Yom Kippur. And his mother begged him not to play. And Barney said, you know, Mom, captain of the team, I have to play. And so the game starts and his mother is in the stands. Kickoff comes to Barney and he gets crushed on the opening kickoff tackle. And he's laying on the ground injured. And he says, you can hear his mother in the stands get up and yell, I told you not to play on Young Kapoor. That was sort of the start of, of my Bates athletic history interest. You know, you knew that the first game of Gorslan Field against Tufts was in, what, 1875. We have the plaque that commemorates that. And, you know, as you track through Bates football history, I mean, there were some all-time greats playing Bates football when we were playing schools like Harvard and Yale. An historic game coached by Dave Morey when we tied Yale zero to zero in the uh, in, in the in the bowl down in uh, down in, in Connecticut, and you know I, I bought I bought on eBay the 1951 magazine for the game I get Bates was going to play down there, and it was just a fantastic fantastic bunch of stories on Bates, including one that they had of that game. And, and this really piqued my interest. And the, the, the story starts, this is in, in the program. People forgot that early fall afternoon about the issues which were being debated by presidential candidates, Franklin D. Roosevelt and Herbert Hoover. That's how far back this goes. They forgot that the New York Yankees and Chicago Cubs were battling in the World Series. They forgot that Herman Goering had just been elected Reichstag president, that New York's Mayor Walker had just resigned, that the day before a mass demonstration of hunger marches in London had been stopped by police in Whitehall. The date, and it is one to remember in football, was October 1st, 1932. The area where the action took place was the sprawling Yale Bowl. The participating teams were Yale and Bates. The results, which left that opening day audience stunned, was a zero to zero tie. They go on to say that opening day upsets are an old, are an old story in football, but this was the first time since 1872 that Yale had lost their opening game, that they didn't win their opening game. Right, right. That really piqued my interest in Bates football history. And I, I could tell you stories about some of the research I've done. But then it also goes to track and field. Obviously, my son was you know, a very good track athlete at Bates, along with Chris Murtag and David Pless at the time. And so I became very interested in the unbelievable all-American national champion history of the Bates throwers. Um, go back to Anton Kishin, Art Sager, uh, Steve Ryan, Noah Gautier, Dustin Gautier, Jamie Sawler. I mean, just the, his, the great history of the throwers. And not only throwers, even the, even the runners uh, and the other field athletes, John Douglas in the long jump, God, 
the longest held record at Babes. Uh, John Fitzgerald and the, the runner who, whose record just was broken at Babes. So there's a tremendous history in track and field football, but also in all the other sports too, if you really dig into it. And so I had this idea of why not do some research and get people involved and interested in exploring Bates athletic histories and getting the teams involved in developing their athletic histories. And if we're gonna do these video monitors, having something to put on those monitors relative to all of the Bates athletic histories. So I, so I had the idea and I thought even a short-term course in how to do the research and how to tie some of the base athletic achievements to the history of the times as to what was going on. I thought it would be a great idea. So I happened to meet one day with Russ Riley, who was the former athletic trainer, basketball coach at Bates, went on to be the basketball coach at Middlebury and the athletic director at Middlebury. And he came back to his reunion at Bates. He unfortunately, we couldn't get his oral history because he was playing in the alumni golf tournament that day. But I sat down with him to go over the, you know, the idea with him. And after I explained to him how we developed these athletic histories, had the monitors, the short-term course, he said, stop right there. I go, what do, you, what do you mean stop right there? He goes, we did this at Middlebury. Exactly what you're talking about. I go, what do you mean? He said, well, I was lucky enough to have a very rich alum, alumnus who would donate 30, $35 million to the building of a new field house on one condition, that they did the development of the athletic histories at Middlebury, set up the monitors, and then they had a short-term course taught to figure out how to develop the athletic histories. So yes, we don't have a $35 million you know, grant by anybody, but it doesn't mean that we can't engage the coaches, the alumni, the athletes and working on developing their histories from which the Bates Athletic Hall of Fame can be developed. Yeah, certainly. And we're looking forward to having the touchscreen um, alumni gym. That'll be a great spot um, for people to kind of take a trip back in time and uh, find out, um, you know, some things they didn't know about, you know, the histories of the various sports or 31 sports. In fact, that we have here at Bates, um, you were part of some history yourself when you were on the football team, right? I mean, you guys pulled off one of the great wins in Bates football history. I know uh, you, you like it, uh, talking about that. I was curious to hear, you know, some major takeaways from that victory and uh, give us a little background from it when you were playing. Well, I have a whole article I wrote about that for the alumni newsletter at the time. Yeah. For, for my, for one of my reunions. And, and yeah, you know, we, we had lost 25 games in a row. We had been followed and interviewed by sports writers wherever we went as we sort of approached breaking the New England record for losing. And it wasn't like we were a bad football team and had bad players. I mean, some of the games are very close, 14-13, 13-10. There were a couple of blowouts, but a lot of them were, were very close. And... So here we were, we had lost to Worcester Tech, I think 35 to 14, to lose the 25th game in a row. And we're coming up to play AIC. AIC had just barreled over us three years in a row, uh, including one year, <clears throat> 62 to 28, where they had Bruce Laird playing running back, who ultimately became an all-pro safety with the Baltimore Colts. And here they were, it's a Division II team, we had no business really playing them. 
and nobody gave us a snowball's chance in hell to win that game. So the out-of-town sports writers didn't come to cover it. But it was parents' weekend. It was parents' weekend. And our parents had seen us the year before play Norwich, where we lost a very close game, 21 to 14. So the parents are thinking, yeah, these guys can't, can't be that bad. And we're thinking, gee, parents' weekend, AIC is coming. What are we going to do? Well, Steve Eldridge and I got the team together on Monday and said, look, our parents are coming up. It's parents' weekend. For us seniors who are still on the team, it's our last shot in front of our parents. Let's just really focus this week and concentrate and see if we can pull the upset. Well, the practices that week were very somber. Very, Everybody was very dedicated, focused. And we get to the game, and at halftime, we're winning 14 to 7. Uh, I had caught a touchdown pass and a two-point conversion. I think Chris Ham may have run for the other touchdown. Well, the announce over at Lewiston High School, which is playing up the road from us, that Bates is winning at halftime 14 to 7. So all of a sudden, people start trickling in from Lewiston High to watch our game. So our stands were packed with parents, but around the field, it was like five deep of people watching, watching our game. Well, AIC ties the score up in the in the uh, second half, so it's 14 to 14. And fourth period, we get the ball. We're driving down the field. We're in the red zone. We get within the – we have third and, third and goal on the eight-yard line. Dave Dyson drops back, throws a pass to me in the end zone. I dive. I catch it. They rule it incomplete. Okay, fourth down. Ralphie Bat comes in, kicks the field goal to put us ahead 17 to 14. But there's still like six or seven minutes to go in the game. We kick off, the AIC gets the ball, they're driving down the field, driving down the field. Two minutes left, they're in our territory, 35 yard line just about. Fourth down, AIC quarterback drops back to pass, guy's wide open, throws the ball, it's low. Did he catch it? Did he trap it? If he catches it, it's a first down AIC. They're still driving. If he trapped it, it's baseball. The referees get together. After about two minutes, they turn around and go, baseball, first down the other way. We run on the field, and Dave Dyson Chuck just runs option plays around the end. Clock runs out. We win the game 17-14. Parents basically tore down the fences. They get onto the field to hug their kids. We took Coach Hatch into the locker room, threw him in the shower. Well, according to Milt Richmond, who wrote an article about it for UPI, you know, a few months later, we sort of walked him into the shower because the Bates men don't throw their coach into the shower. So it's a hell of a time. And also, interestingly, Maine Public Television actually had a, did a video of that game, and they broadcast it on public television that night. So we all got to go to the bars and watch the game that night on uh, cable TV. So Does that tape exists anywhere, or is that lost to history? <laughs> you know, they probably over overtaped yeah. it <laughs> at some point, but uh, it was just a fantastic uh, experience for us. The epilogue is we went on to lose the next week to Norwich, forty-two to nothing. I think it was. And then a couple of close losses to Bowden and Colby. And AIC goes on to 
beat the University of Vermont, Central Connecticut, <laughs> Southern Connecticut. And I was like, how did we do it? But we did. You just don't give up. You never give up. Certainly. Bates has obviously been playing, you know, sports since the 19th century up till today. Things look very different now, obviously. But what's some connective tissue, maybe as someone who has studied, you know, Bates history like you have, you know, from the early days till now, you kind of see that kind of runs through, you know, Bates sports perhaps. Well, I mean, go back, go back way in time when we were playing, you know, top schools and in all in all sports. And you know, you look at you look at an alumnus like Oliver Cutts, Oliver Cutts, who played in for Bates back in the late eighteen late eighteen nineties, and was you know an all American an all American uh, lineman. And many years later, he be he becomes the coach at Bates, and then he becomes the longtime athletic director at Bates. And while he was at Bates, he was a great debater too. But he also went on to go to law school at Harvard after being at Bates. He was out for a couple of years, went to law school at Harvard. And back in those days, you could play football at another school, even after you had graduated and played for another school, which was Bates. So he goes and plays football for Harvard in 1901, when Harvard is undefeated, declared national champions, and the New York Times calls him one of the greatest linemen they had ever seen. Uh, that's a Bates alum, Bates coach, Bates athletic director from way back in the day. And, you know, you can run the forward Ralph Long, Barney Marcus, several others Bates football alumni who, you know, create a great connective tissue among all of us who care to look, who care to study it. And, you know, the frustrating thing for People like me and people like Bob Muldoon, who does a lot of work studying Bates historical athletes, is current athletes just don't know. They don't know how rich Bates athletic histories in all sports are. And then when the women became, when Title IX was passed, and Bob Hatch, who God love him, really, as the athletic director, was really front and center about bringing women's sports in Title IX at Bates. And you look at the history of the women's athletes at Bates, the, the track athletes. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> These are some of the top women athletes in the country. You look at the coaches, Sherry Yakawanis, Carolyn Court, some of the greatest women coaches in the country were at Bates College. And people, people should know that and people should honor that and I'm sure that over the many years, once we developed the Hall of Fame, many of these great athletes, great coaches, great events will be honored. And I hope I live long enough to see a lot of it. Well, and also uh, Nancy Ingersoll Fiddler, someone I've talked to many times. Uh, yeah. She basically, I mean, she's known for you know, her Nordic skiing success and Olympian. But she actually basically started the women's lacrosse and the women's cross country teams while she was at Bates as, as, a, as a way to train. And so and, and she wanted to play women's lacrosse because she had in high school. So that's kind of a cool thing to see someone who basically started two programs as a student. Stuff like that is also kind of amazing. So, well, I mean, if she's not in the first Hall of Fame, right. then, there's, <laughs> yeah. then there's, some, there's something wrong because she is just a, just a superstar and always has been in uh and skiing, and skiing as well. I mean, their record speaks speaks for itself. Um, Bates is lucky lucky to have had you know people people like that. 
uh, too bad Joan Benoit Samuelson didn't go to Bates, but her daughter did. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there you go. So we have that connection as well. Certainly. Well, any other thoughts you wanted to share just kind of on, you know, the hopefully the, the soon to be Hall of Fame. We're aiming right now for spring of 2025 for the first uh, big ceremony. So we're the, it's the process is being built. We got bylaws we're working on. Hopefully we'll have a committee soon. Uh, any other thoughts you have about your excitement for it? And again, we appreciate your support, of course, for giving us a platform to deliver this history and everything. But any more thoughts you wanted to share? Well, you know, I, I hope that the, uh, the people who are planning this and the people who are going to form the committee put on some of some of us who have done a lot of the work in, in looking through the athletic histories and try to develop appropriately the categories for honoree, because it's not just athletes, it's athletes, it's teams, it's friends, it's coaches, uh, it's events, it's what somebody may have done after after they left Bates in athletics, you know, David Pless uh, coming in fifth in the U.S. Indoor Shot Put Championships. Uh, so, you know, there are, there are different categories, and it may be that for the real old timers, since it may be hard to track down some of their relatives to come to an event that, you know, there maybe should be more of them in the initial classes as we do the research and, uh, and on, and honor their memories uh, appropriately. All right. Ira, well, thank you so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Really appreciate your support. Looking forward to continue to celebrate the history of Bates athletics uh, from the 19th century to right now where the women's basketball team just entered the top 25. So a lot of exciting stuff going on. Ira, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Well, Aaron, we're lucky enough to have you to do all these Bates podcasts. And uh, now we don't have to worry about uh, where we can find the Bates athletic histories. We know where. Yep, living history. <laughs> Thanks so much again. After some tough road NESCAC games, the Bates men's basketball team is home this weekend against Middlebury and Williams. The rest of the Bates winter sports hit the road, and you can find the complete schedule online at GoBatesBobcats.com. We'll catch you next time on the Bates Bobcast. Bobcast. <laughs>